This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and put this all into context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Are we dealing with systemic risk here or simply a global slowdown that has yet to be priced into the stock market? After a day where the Dow lost 454 points, S&P plunged 1.57%. NASDAQ plummeted 1.89. That's a big decline. You know what? I'm still betting on the latter, which is not as disastrous as the former. However, I also think that the risk of a slowdown based on a decline in expected profits isn't fully baked in yet. If China ends up doing a full shutdown of their economy by telling people to stay away from work or just stay at home, that could be very bad for business, even if it might be necessary to stop this virus. But before we get to the negatives, let's take some systemic risk issues off the table. What makes me so confident that this coronavirus won't totally wreck the market after this big run? Maybe cause a huge decline. Well, think about the flu. Yeah, influenza is a terrible disease. So far this flu season in our country, it's already affected 15 million people. 15 million people. Of these, 140,000 have been hospitalized. And 8,200 people in our country have died from the flu this year. Way more people have died from the flu in America than have died from the coronavirus in China. Yet the flu doesn't shut down our whole economy. Obviously, if everyone had to go to the emergency room all at once, we would not be able to handle it. But know the numbers, people. They matter. Now, we know the Chinese government did its best to cover up the SARS outbreak in 2003. And while that didn't spread as easily as this coronavirus, it was much more lethal. SARS didn't shut down their whole economy, though. The covert pictures of hospital scenes that you may have seen, they're awful. But, you know, our hospitals can pretty be pretty bad, too. I almost wonder if China's being overly cautious with these quarantines. 18 major cities? Can they bring in all the medicine they need? That way? Wouldn't it be better just to screen more intensely? Uh, either way, China shared their genome sequencing of the virus with the rest of the world. I've been following the data through the Lancet. They're doing their best. Put it all together, and I wouldn't be surprised if someone could come cook up with a vaccine. They can do it, or at least some medicine that can slow the spread of this disease. I am hopeful about that. I think the possibility that we'll all wear masks and gloves when we're in public is pretty far-fetched. But even if that happens, we'll get through it. To me, this is nowhere near as frightening as the Ebola scare. Although even in West Africa, at the source of the outbreak, Dr. Mark Bristow, then the CEO of Rangold, came on this show and told us you could still do business in that epicenter as long as you didn't shake hands. That's all it took. With the coronavirus, you get some Purell, you get some Clorox wipes, you keep your arms to your sides, okay? You don't touch your face then you will probably be fine. That's right, 
that's what it requires. Oh, and if you haven't gotten your flu shot yet, please, you, you, you should make sure to get one, even if just to be able to help medical authorities know that you have contracted the coronavirus. That's what it would tell you if you had the flu shot. Could this outbreak cause a temporary slowdown? Sure. More on that later. But business won't grind to a halt, which is what happened with the systemic risk issues. Remember, the last time we had real systemic risks in this country was during the financial crisis, when mortgage mania brought down a host of gigantic banks and nearly destroyed the economy. If, say, half the country came down with the flu, far-fetched, right? That would be bad for business. You'd see a lot less consumer spending. But it wouldn't cause huge companies to go bankrupt, and it wouldn't shut down the financial system. In short, this outbreak's not the end of the world, although it could still be pretty bad. So why don't we do some triage here, all right? First, there are stocks that are right in the blast zone, all right? Uh, they're way too toxic to own here because you have no idea how they'll do. Now, I'm going to include every single Chinese stock in this category. I like a pencil seat picking some uh, high-quality one, like uh, maybe Alibaba at much lower levels, because they're an e-commerce play, and epidemics will cause more people to buy stuff online. But you need money to spend to buy things, and it's hard to make money when your city's under quarantine. So let's just take those off. We're not going to buy any of those, all right? No need. No need. Second, well, there are the uh, derivative stocks that rely on Chinese spending for their growth. Here, I want you to think Starbucks, Apple, Nike, NVIDIA, Yum China. These names all deserve some kind of a coronavirus haircut because they're on the verge of reporting. And unless they can reassure us that Chinese spending will continue on the same trajectory, their stocks will get slammed. Now, you know what? I happen to like every one of these stocks, but it doesn't matter uh, at this red hot minute. Same goes for the casino companies with big metallic exposure like Wynn Las Vegas Sands. Their numbers need to come down so hard that you simply can't own them here as opposed to the derivative ones I just mentioned. Third, we got the travel stocks. Well, those went down about 25% during the SARS epidemic 17 years ago. You have to use that as a benchmark. Don't try to tough them out because we are nowhere near to be there. Think estimate cuts. Fourth, well, there are the companies that, that will be hurt by a worldwide slowdown. Not destroyed, but hurt. And that includes many manufacturers like Caterpillar. You saw that dip today, uh, which rely on China for business. I would say Boeing, but that's already so convoluted, it's hard to tell. 3M reports tomorrow. I, 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 and I don't know how they can forecast China. Let's listen to them. Same with United Technologies. They report tomorrow morning. I'm going to be doing a lot of work on both these companies. And I'll report tomorrow night to say, here's how they're going to contain the narrative. Worries about a worldwide slowdown mean people will buy treasuries. And when people buy treasuries, interest rates go down. Lower long-term rates translate to lower earnings for the banks, which is why they've been coming down so hard. Financial technology companies that rely on volume could be cut. But I'm not as worried about these. Now, you need a, a, a lockdown like they have in China to shut down retail. Although I can see plenty of people just staying at home and, yes, ordering from Amazon. How about the commodities and the minerals? Too much economic exposure. Stay away. What's left? Well, we're back to the domestic stocks, housing, food, drugs, including biotech and social media. We've got to be careful of the drugs because we keep hearing that Bernie Sanders is surging in the polls, and he obviously is no fan of the drug companies. I like home entertainment. I like Netflix. I like Comcast. I like Disney. Yeah, I know they have China exposure, but I like it. This is your chance to buy some. China's not as important as the rest of their franchises. And by the way, if we really have an outbreak here, yes, theme parks will go down. It's happened before. But I, I've been waiting for a chance to get in this stock. I recommend it to you for a long time. My chapter trust owns it for 40 points. This might be it. Uh, Disney works. 
Now, later on the show, I'm going to have a list of seven stocks that I think can be bought right now. None of the ones I've just mentioned can be bought right now. I'm just trying to prep you in the same way I told you to sell a lot of stuff last week that is going down now. Of course, because we're taking systemic risk off the table, even the groups that are coming down will be worth buying when they go low enough. You can't be too eager, though, about buying anything until you figure out the pecking order of what's worst to best, given the possibility of a multi-week sell-off. I keep coming back to this week two years ago when we got a hot unemployment number that triggered a bizarre VIX unwind, which crushed the stock market right out of the Super Bowl. We had to get to a very oversold position before we bounced. Uh, And after today's session, shockingly, we're still overbought on that S&P oscillator I follow, although it's just by a smidge. Bottom line, I wish I could be more hopeful here. I wish I could be more constructive. But it's been ages since we had a big sell-off. Many people have been just riding and riding. They don't even know what one looks like. Uh, Investors seem too eager to want to buy. Everyone I heard today was talking about an opportunity for ActionWordsPlus.com club members they know we are still looking for things to sell on a bounce. Stefano in New York. Stefano. A big booyah to you, Jimmy Chill. How are you? I am doing well. The chill's good. What's up? I'm talking about, my question is about V-I-A-C, Viacom CBS. I own the stock at $40.70. Remember, it doesn't, we don't care where it came from. We care where it's going to. Now, these guys better do a very good job of saying where the earnings will come from because it is the cheapest stock on, on earnings estimates in the entire S&P 500. Now, that's one of the reasons why the club, why I recommend it to the club. It has not panned out. Uh, it has actually been my worst stock. Uh, sometimes you have to own that. Uh, I did not expect it to be this bad. Why is it this bad? Because a lot of people feel it's the ultimate cord-cutting negative stock. Uh, I think it's better than that. So far, I'm wrong. Let's go to Robert in South Carolina. Robert. Jim, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Enjoy everything you do for us. Thank you. Question. Question. The uh, coronavirus, travel stocks taking a hit. My question is about Royal Caribbean, RCL. Would this be a time to get in as a short-term trade at this point? Which too early. Too early. And I'll tell you, I'm so glad you mentioned Royal Caribbean. That is such a well-run company. But let's look at it. 12 times earnings. Let's wait till it goes down, only down 12% for the year. What we've been saying is these stocks did go down 25% during SARS, so you still got some work to do. Maybe we even catch this one with a 3.5-4% yield. So no hurry. That's the key thing, people. Because we haven't been down for so long, everyone's in a hurry to buy Do a little balancing. Sell a little to buy a little. It's not going to hurt you. We'll get to the point where I'm going to tell you it's it's too late to sell. We're not there yet. This isn't systemic risk, which would mean I would tell you that any time, if you need money in the next five years, you should sell. It's not. It's a global slowdown that has yet to be priced in the stock market correctly. Don't be too eager about anything just yet, even for a trade. Oh, man, tonight, the big game is is just days away. So I'm kicking off a week-long celebration to Sunday's kickoff by drafting two of the most important players on my roster. Find out which tickers I'm picking to lead your portfolio to victory, even though we know what's going on with the virus. Then, with the market tumbling as coronavirus concerns escalate, what could you buy? Well, I'm going to give you my take. And oil and gas stocks are getting crushed here. But could the sector regain some energy? Hey, you know what? Let's go off the charts to find out. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. I'm a man on a mission, and that mission is to make the stock market comprehensible to as many people as possible. That mission cannot be stopped by any exogenous event. So, with the big championship six days away, I want to use this as a learning opportunity. The Mad Money Football Championship. We'll be talking about players uh, from the Chiefs, from the Niners, and comparing them to some of our favorite stocks in order to be able to illuminate things. What's the point here? I want you to understand where these companies fit into the respective sectors. Sometimes the best way to do that is explaining where they fit into a football team. It's just, it's a gimmick, it's shtick, but anything I can do to make you learn better. So let's start with the quarterback, the most important position on the field. The quarterback is the field general. He commands the offense and begins every play. This Sunday, we've got a fantastic matchup of quarterbacks between Kansas City's electric gunslinger Patrick Mahomes and San Francisco's smooth single caller Jimmy Garoppolo. Who are Wall Street's quarterbacks? In this market, it's got to be the software industry, which has been responsible for a tremendous portion of our overall gains for the past decade. Plus, these are exactly the kind of companies that won't be hurt by the coronavirus outbreak. The companies will, if their stocks can be, not the companies, even if their stocks get hit today along with everything else and maybe tomorrow or the next day. Think about it like this. We just checked in with Microsoft the other day. Remember we were out there? And it's the second largest company in America with a trillion dollar plus market cap. While they've expanded into new areas, at the end of the day, Microsoft's the most important software company in history. Apple's now the largest company in America, but it was only able to achieve that $1.35 trillion market cap by building out a massive service revenue stream that's fueled by software. Uh, remember, they report tomorrow. The third and fourth largest companies, Alphabet and Amazon, well, both with gigantic cloud computing divisions that enable a whole universe of other software companies to exist. Long story short, for the past decade, the software industry has been essential to the market's long-term success, just like a good quarterback. It's a make-or-break position. So which of the software names can compare to the great Patrick Mahomes and Jimmy G? Because these guys are the kings of the gridiron. We need to look to the elite software as a service cohort we've dubbed the cloud kings. I think the best comparison for the flashy Mahomes is Adobe Systems. That's a company that's going through some radical changes in recent years to become one of the most important players in the digital commerce space. After Kansas City drafted Mahomes almost three years ago, uh, the head coach, my hero, Andy Reid, got to work retooling the Chiefs' offense into the spread-em-out, motion-filled system that it is today, a system that's run at a torrid pace with a pass-first bias. A system powered by Mahomes, who'll scramble around the backfield, evading pass rushers with ease, then stop on a dime and flick the ball across the field. A couple of weeks ago, he led the Chiefs to uh, four touchdowns in less than 10 minutes. What a comeback that was. These days, Reed and Mahomes are credited with creating the future of football. And you see other teams trying to mimic their rapid-fire style. And that's why I think Adobe is the right analog. See, a few years ago, Adobe became one of the first old-school software companies to embrace the software-as-a-service business, right? I mean, they went from having licenses and seats to software-as-a-service, and it's now taken the industry by storm. And they keep changing. They made a couple of big acquisitions to expand into the business of helping other companies set, set up their e-commerce platform 
platform with more ease. With these deals, Adobe has what they believe is the best-selling suite of software for uh, products to customers. Uh, just like, by the way, Andy Reid has the ideal quarterback to conduct high-flying aerial attacks with Mahomes. When it comes to San Francisco's Wonder Boy Garoppolo, the only possible choice is Salesforce. It's a Bay Area native that's gone from a disruptor in the software industry to an institution with a skyscraper to prove it, just as Jimmy G's gone from backup to superstar. Salesforce is a company that we've been following for over a decade. It's always been a great player, but for many years, it felt like that they were nipping at the heels of the big incumbents. Here we're talking about Oracle, SAP, Microsoft. When Jimmy Garoppolo got drafted by the Patriots in 2014, well, he was stuck as backup quarterback by Tom Brady for his first two years. He only got his chance in 2016 when Brady was suspended for four games. The next year, he was traded to San Francisco, where he's really coming to his own. Just like Salesforce has become a mega-cap enterprise software ahead of the Oracles and the SAPs. Uh, plus, there's a certain calmness to Salesforce's stock in the frenetic cloud space, which reminds me of the decidedly non-electric Garoppolo, who wins games without amassing big stats for himself. Now, just like Mahomes and Garoppolo, Adobe and Salesforce are on a collision course. Lately, both companies have been encroaching on each other's turf. They used to be companies with specific uh, products. Now they offer entire platforms for small and medium-sized businesses and then increasingly puts them in competition. I think this could become one of the great rivalries in tech for the next five to ten years. So who wins? How about a statistical approach? No emotions. First, the growth rate. Adobe is projected to grow its sales at 18% clip this year. That number's slowing to 16% next year, maybe 14 in 2022. Salesforce is the better numbers here, 23% growth in 2020 calendar year, followed by 19% next year, maybe 20% in 2022. On the other hand, Adobe has much higher margins. It's also got the cheaper stock. Adobe's trading at 30 times next year's earnings estimates versus 46 times earnings for Salesforce. Although that higher valuation is not hard to justify because Wall Street loves growth. And boy, do they have growth. How about their total addressable market, or TAM? At its analyst day last November, Adobe projected that they'll have a $128 billion total addressable market by 2022. Last year, they only had $11 billion of that sales. At around the same time, Salesforce posted a $168 billion total addressable market, up from $140 billion the year before, versus $13 billion in sales. They both have a ton of room to grow, although it looks like Salesforce has more room to grow. So which one's the better, Brett? i got to be honest. I'm punning on this one. While I'll be rooting for the Chiefs on Sunday, I can't pick between Salesforce and Adobe. They are both great. They just appeal to different constituencies. Adobe's the Pat Mahomes of the software space. It's fun, creative, company that's become an incredible performer in recent years. They want to be the arbiter of how digital advertising looks and feels, and they're finding tremendous success with that strategy and with e-commerce and with any sort of omnichannel strategy. Salesforce is more like Garoppolo. It's the game manager of software companies. They're comfortable enough with their own solutions that they want their clients to use them to become better at connecting with the customer. Their job is to distribute the ball efficiently in favor of the clients and not make any mistakes. And that's a fabulous stock. The bottom line, as this market sells off, and like I said, it's going to, on the coronavirus outbreak, well, let's just pray that Adobe and Salesforce get sacked so that you can buy one of them into weakness, because these are both phenomenal players. Stick with Kramer. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile 
which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity, or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. Don't panic. It almost never makes sense to sell right into the maw of a big freakout like this one. The only time it made sense to sell into a panic was during the financial crisis, when everything was being crushed. But as I said at the top of the show, this is not another financial crisis. Instead of selling everything, you need to ask yourself, well, what's not impacted? What's going down that doesn't deserve to go down? Because those stocks will be worth buying into weakness, if you have fresh cash, that is. First, though, once again, because I'm not pretending to be bullish, Let's go over the negatives. We have to presume that the coronavirus outbreak will not be contained. Too many people left Wuhan, this epicenter, before the quarantine. It's pretty clear the disease spreads rapidly from person to person. Because it's so frightening, the sell-off is going to hurt. Do you really want to go out to eat knowing that the table next to you might have someone who's been exposed to the virus? They can still be contagious, even if they're not showing any symptoms. You certainly uh, won't want to fly to or from China. And some people won't want to fly anywhere at all. Travel is worrisome. However, we flagged all of these for you last week when there was still a good chance to get out. They're getting hit just as we predicted. We can keep hitting them here, but we've made our points known. So let's now make another set of points. That leaves plenty of stocks that you can safely own. Why don't we just build a portfolio of companies that either have a lot less exposure to the coronavirus outbreak or could actually benefit from it? You know, I know we're not supposed to try to benefit off of something terrible, but you often ask me in Twitter, Jim, what can I do? Okay, so we're going to give you a list because we like to answer on Twitter what people want. First, there's AbbVie. We know the Chinese government is being, well, they're using a combination of two AbbVie drugs to help treat the disease. They've got a great antiviral portfolio at at AbbVie. I don't know if they're going to work. They aren't preventative either. But they did work for some people in China during SARS, so there's some hope. AbbVie stock has been slammed lately because investors are worried that the company could have a shortfall in reports in a week and a half. Given that the company's about to close on its acquisition of Allergan, I don't even think the quarter matters that much. The important thing is that AbbVie can take Allergan's main drug, Botox, and push it overseas. Allergan currently has an international presence, but AbbVie will be able to really expand that footprint. It's a much better distributor, larger of drugs. Allergan recently came up with a pill, by the way, that can alleviate migraine pain for most people within two hours. As a spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation, I can tell you from personal experience that this could be a huge blockbuster. Migraines can be blinding, agonizing, debilitating. And there's never been a decent pill that actually makes the pain go away, and it's not that you know, Excedrin migraine. It doesn't work like that. I think the estimates for this drug are way too low, which is why we want to buy more AbbVie for my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining ActionLearnsPlus.com club. Meanwhile, the company's paying a 5.6% dividend. That's not bad. The stock rallied today, but knowing this market, well, it's going to be down tomorrow. Do you not buy? Um, I, I want you, here's what I want you to do. If it's up, don't buy it. There's so many opportunities. The stock was a really big at one point today, and people bought it. I didn't want that. Next is Clorox. Well, here's another nice, reliable company that sells, well, let's say, the only cleaning product that kills everything. I believe people will stockpile their wipes. I am. That's right. 
Knowing that even without any coronavirus cure in sight, these things could be a lifesaver because the main way to prevent transmission is by not touching things that other people have touched. Whenever there's an epidemic, cross the stock tends to be weird. What about 10% during the H1M1 outbreak 2009? Of course, some of their divisions aren't doing that well, chiefly bags and charcoal, but there's a new version of the bags coming out shortly, and Kingsford season is too far away to matter. Stock yields 2.7%. Hey, that's not bad with the uh, tenure of 1.6. Third stock that's worth buying in a weakness, McCormick, the spice kingpin. Okay, McCormick, the spice kingpin, I like to call it that. Um, they report tomorrow. They make Old Bay. They make a bunch of things. They, they make, um, they bought French's mustard, by the way. I saw that for buck ninety-seven a bottle. It's Walmart. A whole wall. Of it. it was incredible. It was a wall of value. Anyway, in the report tomorrow, I know it's uh, quite a couple of downgrades, as people are always screamish about this one. Yet the darn thing is only a couple of bucks from its highs, almost like someone anticipated the epidemic and gobbled up some of it ahead of time. McCormick's the ultimate stay-at-home stock. If you're too afraid to go out to eat, and people will be for a couple of days, believe me, you'll need to cook. And if you cook, you need seasonings. Let's see what they say tomorrow. Fourth coronavirus stock, three years ago, a little company called Owens & Minor bought the single best play on infectious diseases, a company called Halyard. And that had been underperforming ever since it was spun off by Kimberly Clark. For $710 million, Owens & Minor got a premier franchise in hospital gowns and hospital mass. However, this stock is not for the squeamish. It's fallen 82% in the last five years. It has more than $1.6 billion in debt. That was a mistake. It's desperately trying to sell certain properties to raise cash. That said, historically, it's been a good investment during a heavy flu season. And so I think it works here, as long as you recognize it is a spec, people. Fifth, Moderna. Okay, it seemed like it was shooting from the hip last week when it told us it was working on something for the uh, coronavirus. But get a, wait a second. We spent some time with these guys at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, and I can tell you, they're anything but hype artists. Moderna is a biotech company with a revolutionary concept of developing a whole new category of drugs based on messenger RNA. That's the agent in your body that takes the blueprints from your DNA and makes them into reality. You change the message, messenger RNA, where you can basically reprogram your cells. Using this platform, Moderna is working on 21 drugs to treat a host of different ailments. Remember they talked about being on Amazon Web Services, inputting things? Well, they're doing a lot of infectious disease work like for the coronavirus and others like that. They have major government contracts to develop global health vaccines, including one with DARPA, okay, which invests in new technologies for the Defense Department. They're also working with Merck on more commercial vaccines. Given its platform and its backers, I think Moderna is still the company that's most likely to come up with something for this coronavirus outbreak in a very short period of time. Now, maybe just a few months. All right, that can feel like forever, I know, but it's pretty short time versus the speed of the outbreak. I wouldn't normally recommend a biotech stock as speculation or something like this. Odds are nobody's going to come up with a cure. But Moderna has so much going for it that I, I actually think it's worth buying here. Six, how about Thermo Fisher? Okay, that's the old thermoscientific. Now, they, they also bought this great division from G. Now, if you read The Lancet, one of the world's oldest medical journals, and by the way, I think the single best source in the pandemic, I can't believe I'm checking this all day, but I do. They repeatedly point out that Thermo Fisher's gene sequencing technology is the key to figuring out how to treat the disease. The stock's been a tremendous performer, but it could be even better. I know that in cell programs, everything goes down. Think about this one more. Mr. Myers, all right, this is a company with some great franchises, including the anti cancer drugs that just picked up when they bought Celgene, which then, of course, correlate with their own. It reports February 8th, and I bet they'll lay out some synergy targets for the Celgene deal. Their infectious disease portfolio is strong, and it's one more reason to buy the stock, plus the 2.8% yield doesn't hurt. The bottom line, with the exception of Owens and Meyer, 
These are all conservative situations. Then again, I'm recommending them because they'll work regardless of whether or not we can contain the coronavirus outbreak in a short period of time. You need that kind of peace of mind if you're going to try to buy anything into what I think could be a multi-day sell-off. Let's go to Kevin in Massachusetts. Kevin. Thank you. Booyah. Booyah, Kevin. What's up? So anyways, I've been out of the market for a while. I'm looking to get back in. I was looking at FedEx. Uh, what do you think the price on FedEx? And uh, also, you know, what can I start my portfolio with? All right. Well, FedEx is something I talked about with my colleague David Faber this morning. I said there have to be activists eventually. This thing has just gotten way too cheap. He said, Jim, what's your catalyst if there is no active? I do not have a catalyst away from not having an activist because especially uh, China trade. Thank heavens we're not at war, economic war again with China. China trade is going to slow again and FedEx needs it to accelerate. All right, guys, listen up. This sell off will hurt. All right. We haven't had one in a long time. But there's still plenty of stocks you can own, whether we contain the coronavirus outbreak or not. Much more made money yet. Fossil fuels have gone out of style on the Wall Street fashion show big time, with the coronavirus causing yet another step down. But is that drop warranted? I'm going off the charts to find out. Then, how is panic playing a role in this market's moves? I'm offering my take after today's drop. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Well, everybody's freaking out about the coronavirus outbreak. A freak out I spent all week, all last week predicting, really. I mean, go back. Well, I want to focus on a particular area that's really getting crushed here, energy. Now, lately, fossil fuels have gone completely out of style on the Wall Street fashion show, with the coronavirus causing yet another step down. And it's almost unbelievable how much this business has changed over the course of my lifetime. When I still had all my hair in the 60s and 70s, a little bit of the 80s. We had a huge supply crunch in the oil and gas space. The creation of OPEC caused prices to skyrocket. How bad was it? In addition to the gas lines, I used to have an even or odd number at the end to be able to get gasoline. Some schools in colder parts of the country would temporarily shut down during the winter because they couldn't afford the natural gas bill. That's right. The natural gas needed to heat the building. You got to understand, until the late 90s, the scientific consensus was adamant that the world was running out of oil and gas, particularly us. Uh, we'd spent decades trying and failing to tap into all of these shale plays that you've been hearing about in recent years. I remember they were drilling in Colorado. It didn't matter. Nothing. We just couldn't do it. Everyone accepted that our country would always be hostage to foreign oil. Every year, we had a little bit less. For better or worse, fracking changed everything. These days, nobody's worried about dwindling oil and gas supplies. And forget being hostage to foreign energy sources. And the only thing stopping us from flooding the rest of the world with cheap natural gas is the fact that it requires a massive amount of infrastructure to move liquefied natural gas, or LNG, by ship. I bring all this up because right now, natural gas is a dog, and oil prices keep wilting. These are hated commodities, maybe the most I've ever seen them hated. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner. She's a brilliant technician. She's been very right for us. She's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading and the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading. Because, are you ready? She thinks oil and gas could be due for a relief rally. I will say up front, I don't agree with her. But that's okay. This is a huge contrarian call. Garner's got a great track record with contrarian calls. Her thinking, at the moment, most traders have grown to, they just hate oil and gas. And it's usually a mistake to write off an asset class that everyone else despises. The simple explanation here is that most active speculators are wrong more often than they're right. When everybody hates something, their hate becomes baked in. If the haters turn out to be right, 
They don't make that much money because that's what people expected. But if something changes for the better, those haters get wrecked. So Garner's generally of the view that when the masses of traders are convinced the commodity will will do one thing, decent chance it will do the opposite. Makes sense, right? Rational. And right now, Wall Street's very, very negative. It's nearly impossible to find an analyst who's positive on natural gas or oil. In the stock market, market, investors are throwing the fossil fuel babes out with the bathwater. I've been saying that. Some of that is because of millennial managers. Some of it's because of ESG. But uh, it does seem real ugly out there. But take a look at this chart showing historical patterns in West Texas crude. This is a seasonal chart, how oil tends to trade over the course of each year. And Gardner finds that crude typically bottoms in late January, February, where we are, okay, before making a major move higher. Remember, this doesn't mean that oil's at zero. This is a composite of what oils look like over time. By the way, natural gas tends to bottom in late February, although this year Garner thinks there's a very good case to be made that the bottom may come early thanks to a much warmer than expected winter. Now, next, consider... Consider this weekly chart of the West Texas crude futures. Don't be overwhelmed by this, please. As Wall Street started worrying about the coronavirus, uh, the outbreak last week, the price of oil, it got slammed. Okay, you can see it just got slammed. It's now back down to below $53 a barrel. Went out at $52.80 today. People are worried that the epidemic could cause a worldwide slowdown in economic activity, which is something, you know, I am worried about. It translates as the less demand for energy. But Garner believes this could turn out to be a massive overreaction, contrary to my view. When you look at the chart, it's clear that oil is still trading in the same range that it was stuck for well over a year. There you go, right? The relative strength index, or the RSI, an important momentum indicator, it's only mildly oversold. Garner's not convinced it will matter. We haven't seen oil go to extremely oversold levels since early 2016, when the price of crude oil briefly dropped below $30 a barrel. Some of us remember when it went to 26 that day. Crucially, oil has a floor of support at 52 bucks. Okay, that's the blue line. Given that this tends to be a messy commodity, Garner wouldn't be surprised if it slides to $50 a level that was tested multiple times last year, 50-50-50-50. However, she's predicting that oil will then make a significant, significant low between 50 and 52, and that's where she expects a bottom. If she's right, that could potentially catapult crude past its ceiling resistance at 60. And then get this, potentially sending oil price to the mid-70s. You know that oil peaked it's set near 76 just in 2018, not that long ago. Garner believes that the ceiling will be much harder to break. But if the U.S. dollar collapses, then oil could potentially go back to the 90s. Now, who else is thinking like that? Not a soul. Certainly not anyone who's been selling that Chevron every day or Exxon. What if Garner's won't if the $15 uh, floor doesn't hold? Well, oil might fall in the low 40s. But she really doesn't expect that to happen. If oil does visit $40 again, then she says you'll want to buy it hand over fist. The coronavirus would have to be like something out of a Stephen King novel, The Stand. Remember that Lincoln Tunnel scene? No, thank you. To cause that much demand destruction. It's incredibly unlikely, even as I do expect profits to be trimmed for many companies. How about natural gas? All right, unlike oil, nat gas is already near its 2016 lows. This is a hideous chart. People in the industry are are talking about a natural gas depression, not recession, depression. Workers are being laid off. Bonuses are being foregone. Rigs are being shut down. People are cutting down 50, 60 percent of their production. Yet the commodity markets tend to be self-correcting. With fewer rigs running, the supply of natural gas will shrink and prices will be able to rebound. Consider my favorite source of technical data, and that is the Commodity Futures commitment of trader support. This is for natural gas, which tells you what small speculators, large speculators, and commercial hedgers are doing. And here you've got all those different groups, okay? The ones who matter are the large speculators. That's green. 
Those are money managers, right? Now, get this. At the moment, large speculators have gotten incredibly bearish. Wouldn't help. Uh, see how low this is? Do you know that they're holding one of the largest net short positions for natural gas in the history of futures? Garner thinks this could be a sign that everybody who wants to sell has already sold. Right now, these large speculators are net short by about 250,000 contracts. For natural gas, the largest net short position ever was 257,000 contracts. If the sellers run out of firepower, Garner says the price of natural gas will be able to rebound. Regardless of the fundamentals, short covering alone could potentially trigger a 50% rally in the commodity from these levels. Again, something I don't know a soul looking for. Now, take a look at the weekly chart for natural gas. Garner can't rule out a quick dip to 160, where it bottomed in 2016, but she thinks it's reasonable to assume that prices could soon bottom. The RSI is currently at 35. When natural gas bottomed in 2016, it was at 30. Plus, in 2012, natural gas bottomed at $1.90, right around where it's currently trading. Then spent, it spent the next few years climbing to six bucks and change. Garner doesn't necessarily see that happening. But even a quick short covering rally could potentially lead to three bucks gas for gas and a break above that ceiling resistance could eventually take us to five. I don't know a solo who doesn't think this is going to keep going like this. That is, you know, when we're talking to Rusty Brazil, if you remember, the uh, RBN expert, he doesn't think this thing's going anywhere at all. We've got so much gas. It costs, you know, it's more, exp- it, it's, let's just put it this way. They have to flare so much of the stuff. Remember, we had parsley on. They're trying to get less flaring. But it costs too. It, this thing is just, you're losing money hand over fist if you're in this game. The bottom line the charts as interpreted by Carly Garner suggest that oil and gas could be ready to bounce. The stocks are not saying that. I know it's hard to believe right now when these groups are so hated, but often that's exactly when you need to go bullish. Man, Bunny's back here to the break. It is time! It's time for the lightning round. Of course, and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Daddy, time for the lightning round. Let's start with Gerard in Connecticut. Gerard. Hey, Kramer. I watch your show all the time. Thank you very much. Oh, you're uh, quite welcome. What's up? Yep. The stock is 3D Systems. Nope, got to pass on that one. I got to tell you something. That whole industry is in flux. I'd rather see an HP, which got a small business there. Let's go to Sharon, Illinois. Sharon. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Hey, booyah. Booyah. Um, I have changed Avon around two years ago. I bought it for about two seventy-eight per share, and I bought hundred shares. Okay. It made me really good money. Okay? Yes. Now they merge with Natura. Ticker and TCO. Well, you know, I, I interviewed them. I interviewed them. I have to think that they've got a really compelling story. Now I know, look, in this market, let's understand each other. This market's going down. But as one to be able to accumulate into weakness, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. So I'm on, I'm on board there. Let's go to David in Virginia. David. Booyah, Professor Jimmy Chill Kramer. Jimmy Chill is here to help. What's up? Hey, it seems like IMAX has been hurt by the stay-at-home economy and now this virus. Right. Is it time to buy? I'm no, asking. no, it's in the blast zone. It's in China. It's in no. I mean, look, I understand entirely why you want to be there, but there's so many others. Uh, if you want to be in the experiential economy you want a little, uh, and you want a little yield, why don't you go with EPR profits? Why don't we go to Justin in Virginia? Justin. 
Hey, Jim, how's it going? I'm a Hi. big fan. I love the unmatched energy you know, and wisdom you bring every morning and evening. That's what uh, we try to do. Thank today. you. <laughs> my question today is about the company Navian, ticker N-A-V-I. It just had a big spike. does yield 4%. I want it to come down. This is student loans. I think it can come lower. Let's wait for that. Why don't we go to Barbara in Pennsylvania? Barbara. Hey, Professor Kramer. Yes. First time caller, long, long time listener. I love that. What's up? <laughs> what type of future do we have with Zynga? Z-N-G-A. Video game software, I do like. I think the stock is bottom. I don't know how far it can go, but I don't think it's a bad spec here. How about Gary in North Carolina? Gary. Hey, Jim. It's, yeah, it's Gary in North Carolina. I, I recently bought Kinder Morgan for its dividend and its pipe and gas. I think you're fine. Uh, it yields 4.7%. I can't get excited about it. Why? Because that whole core, cohort of pipe, as we heard when we had Rusty Brazil on last week from RBN Energy, it just doesn't have a lot of growth. Good yield, not a lot of growth. Let's go to Chad and Iowa. Chad. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Chad. How you Booyah. doing? I'm a huge fan of yours. Thank you. And, uh, yeah. Hey, uh, I was wondering, um, I'm asking about this stock, Wells Fargo. What right, do you they think had a horrible you- quarter. Charlie Sharp is trying to clean house. It looks like things are a little bit more worse than anyone expected. Sells at 11 times earnings. That's got to sell at 10. It's not there yet. Let's wait till 44. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Let's talk panic. As I watched this market plummet in the morning, then briefly bounce the afternoon, I thought to myself that we had a panic, then the panic got bought, and now a lot of people will assume that it has to be over. They'll tell themselves the panic's done. The worst case is baked in. But there's no sign that things are contained, which is why that bounce unraveled. There's no sign that we have anything that can treat the pneumonia that tends to accompany the coronavirus, at least for older people. And the mortality rate seems very high for them. There's no sign of a vaccine, although we have some of our best minds working on it. There's a combination HIV drug from, from uh, AbbVie that China's using to get the virus under control. After some initial gaffes, I'm honestly impressed by how well the Chinese government has spread the word about the disease to the rest of the world. They're opening the book. It's a genuine plea for help. Maybe we can come up with something. Here's the problem. We know this disease incubates, and we know you can infect other people while it's still dormant. So if the disease starts coming here in large numbers, we could potentially see a dramatic uptick in the number of cases here. We haven't gotten that yet, but I think we need to be mindful of the things that could potentially cause another sell-off. And if the disease spreads, you better believe the market's going to get hit again. A death from this illness will, if it happens here, bring a cascade of selling. It's the possibility of screaming headlines about the exponential growth of this epidemic that keeps me from telling you to buy stocks aggressively here, even though this is the first big pullback we've had in ages. Because if the disease keeps coming, tons of people who bought today will end up selling those same stocks at lower levels. Case in point, I have some people uh, bragging about J.P. Morgan buying some at 131, taking victory laps on Twitter. Well, that's a nice price versus the people who bought it at 138 when it reported that terrific quarter. But the stock's been going down relentlessly ever since bond yields started dropping in response to the outbreak. Now, you've got to wonder, can the people who bought it at 131 with the stock now at 132 withstand more stories about how the global economy is poised to slow down because of the virus? Can they handle more advisories, including one from the World Health Organization that calls the coronavirus a pandemic? 
Could that be around the corner? Can they deal with the possibility of a total shutdown in China? Or time reports from companies that do business in the People's Republic saying that business is taking it on the chin. If you hear something discouraging from a Starbucks or an Estee Lauder or warning from Apple, all fabulous companies, won't you regret that you tried to go bottom fishing here? Ultimately, I think the make or break issue for our market is what happens in the United States if you start hearing that people who never went to China have come down with the disease. That's the most frightening possibility for investors. And it's why I think any bounce here is probably built on quicksand like the temporary rebound early this afternoon. Even if you have conviction, your fellow shareholders probably won't. And you don't want to be there when they get shaken out by more headlines because they bought it down 1.89%. Believe me, the headlines could only get worse once we're no longer dealing with impeachment or mourning the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and his young daughter. So please, pick if you want. Pick if you want on the way down. But please stay small for now. I think you're going to get a better buying opportunity lower. Remember, it's been ages since we've had a big sell-off. Like I told you at the top, this market feels like the lead-up to the Super Bowl in 2018. When the employment number came in too hot, the Fed got hawkish, and we had that big VIX backfire that ended up crushing the stock market. That's why I'm begging you, please leave some room if you're buying for some further fallout. Do not try to be a hero right now. It's not worth the risk. Stick with Kramer. Yo, Booyah, Jim, congratulations on a great show. Mad Money is not a show about picking stocks for you. It's a show about empowering you to think for yourself. This is Bill from New York. Jim, thanks so much. Hey, Jim, this is Curtis from North Carolina. I wanted to say thanks to you for creating Mad Money. Booyah! The man, the myth, the legend. The Wizard of Wall Street. This is Duffy from Philly, and I want to give a good booyah. You are the reason why we do this. Tonight on All New American Greed, a mysterious plague is sweeping the country, and the one thing all the victims have in common? They all receive medicine from a pharmacist who's cutting corners while raking in profits. Can it be stopped? Watch at a special time, 9 o'clock on CBC. And then, please do not miss the incredible reporting from my friend CBC's own Phil LeBeau. You must, must, must watch Fugitive CEO, the Carlos Ghosn story, 10 p.m. Eastern, right here. Like I say, there's always a bull market summer, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.